Hi guys, welcome to Lola, Life of Living Abundantly. Today's guest, we have none only than the Miss Leah Jones. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Hello, how are you? <laughs> so Leah, thank you so much for being ready and willing to not only tell your story, but to share with the world a little bit about what you do. Awesome for having the opportunity to do it. I'm so grateful that you asked me to do it. Good. So tell us a little bit about what you do, Leah, professionally. Professionally, I am in the music profession. So I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, and um, I'm working here in the Tennessee area to build that career. Of course, I still keep a day job, but that's that's my primary focus. Um, going into the singing and songwriting thing has always been a passion of mine. And so um, after working in the corporate America scene for a while, I decided that it was time for me to just stop uh, stop being afraid of being who I was created to be and also stop living according to the standards that other people um, thought that was best for me to live in and asking myself, why, why do you live this way? Is it what God said? And is it something that if you could do it for free, that you would do? Mm -hmm. and our roads have always led back to all things creative um for as long as I can remember I've been somewhere with a microphone in my hand um whether it been whether it be church or school plays or um mm -hmm. I do a lot of work with different vocalists with session work and mm -hmm. uh, I've worked with so many different screenwriters. I went to film school. And so everything that I've done that feels like breathing. And to me, that's the true sign of something that you're born to do. If right. it doesn't feel like work, oh. then that's what you should be doing. Absolutely. So yeah. I think... I'm sorry, like going back, I didn't even introduce like how you and I just made our 21st year of knowing each other. I know, huh? <laughs> and bringing that back, like I met you singing, literally. You did. You, you, did. you were always singing. Always. Always. And your vocals was just kind of like, I'm, I'm going to go to this corner that's a little... <laughs> you know or I'm gonna you you just have that energy you are and it's it's infectious per se your voice so yeah but when you said that you're not gonna live you know how we've been taught to live or living not to necessarily somebody else's standards or norms what made you come to a point in life to define your own rules? Well, about uh, six years ago, um, just a regular, normal, routine doctor visit um, turned into a cancer diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And of course I didn't die, but I think mm -hmm. anybody who deals with a diagnosis like that, you think about what, what would I do 
Mm-hmm. If I knew I had a limited amount of time to live. And I think even when you have this guarantee, which really isn't a guarantee, I think it's more of a, a way of assuaging people and keeping them from being nervous when doctors tell you, oh, we'll go in, we'll get it out and all is well. That's never a guarantee. Yeah, we have people that go in for normal procedures or normal procedures and they don't come out. Right. And so my question to myself was, if you leave here tomorrow, what is it that you haven't done to create an impact for the world to be blessed by you? Yeah. And I said, I've always wanted to do something as a songwriter. I've always sang, I've always done songwriting, but um, when I was diagnosed, I was doing it just on the side. Mm -hmm. I was singing in a band. I was doing a lot of session work, but I wasn't doing that for me. Um, I was doing it here and there when people asked me to, but I was still safe. I was still working a regular job and not really thinking this could actually be your profession if you pursue it with reckless abandon. This could actually be the thing that you're known for if you put much more time, effort, and energy into it. And I also didn't do it because I had parents that taught me that's not a real profession. That's not something that you do. We sent you to college and we sent you there because we wanted you to get a profession that could sustain you financially. And make sure that you always had a real job where you actually go to work from nine to five or whatever that eight hour block or 12 hour block would be. We tried to make sure that we instill this in you because that's all we knew. We always played it safe. And we were safe to stay in the nine to five. Yeah. To know that a life of freedom is staying outside of the nine Mm -hmm. to five. You Mm -hmm. work a little harder. Um, but the life is truly right. And I learned, I think from being in the, the industry that I was in, in California, the more you do what you do and you do it well, the more you're in demand. I had a pastor that used to say this, if, if you're in demand, you can make demands. And so I remember one year my aunt was helping me with my taxes and she was like, do you know how much money you made on just singing alone? It didn't matter to me. She right. told me, but I didn't think about it because I enjoyed it. I was, my friends would be like, tell Leia to check her calendar so we can hang out because I was always working, but I, I, it felt like, and I always compare this to like going outside to play. You remember how we used to feel when we were children and all your homework was done. You may have eaten dinner or lunch or what have you. And your parents said you could go out to play. It was such a freedom. Yeah. And so although I was working and I still work a regular job, but after my regular job is over, my studio is behind me. Right. And a lot of times I get up and just turn around and sing. this is what I do. Because it feels like, it feels like, like going to recess. It's like a breath of fresh air for me. And so my friends got to the point where they were like, well, let's check Leia's schedule. Then we'll match up our, 
schedule with her <laughs> so that we could hang out. And I was like, sorry. But yeah. that was how it went. Right. And- Going back to your diagnosis, the mm-hmm. majority of viewers are female. Mm-hmm. Um, look like and identify like you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly as a woman, do you mind sharing what type of diagnosis you had? Um, I had... I had stage one. It was right. It was that stage right before stage two breast cancer. And so Uh I was diagnosed in 2017, May of 2017. And um, the doctor told me, she said, Leia, due to your family history, she said, I can't tell you what to do. She said, but here's what I see. She showed me where the tumor was. Now, mind you, I had been going to get regular mammograms since I was in my 20s mm-hmm. because of my family history. Right. So I was like, I've done everything right. What in the world? But things happen, right? And so um, she was telling me, um, because of your family history, I am obligated to tell you, people like you, the probability of this coming back if you get the lumpectomy is pretty high. So I'm not telling you what to do, but the mastectomy is something that I would recommend because it's prone to reappearing. And so I said, nobody is coming back to deal with this. Take them both Mm -hmm. and I'll just deal with that. If you can reconstruct and rebuild and I can still live, I'll take that over having to come back. And she was like, okay. And I was like, she was like, well, do you want to do the unilateral or the bilateral? And my doctors always said, you are the funniest patient we have ever seen. But I was honest. I wasn't trying to be funny. I was honest. I said, in token, that was kind of your secret weapon to help it was science right it it was I I really did um make it a point to laugh Mm -hmm. if I wasn't praying I was laughing good and I told my doctor because she was like well you know we reconstruct them you can get them as large or as small as you want I was like I'm gonna stick to the same size because I got the same clothes (laughs) I'm not sizing out of clothes trying to look like Barbie up here. We're not <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and I'm a small person. So right. if I were to go and get these huge breasts, people would be like, wait, Leia, did you lose weight? Or did you, you did you have something? Right. You just so different. <laughs> so I was like, no, make them the same size. Mm-hmm. And um she was like, well, you know, you can keep one breast in case. You want to have children? I was like, I'm not trying to do that. I was like, I haven't even had a decent date yet. Uh, and I'll explain it to him too. We can buy milk. Um, so, buy milk. Right. So I was like, I'm cool. And I told her, furthermore, I don't want my chest looking like the Lady Justice. You know, the little thing, the little yeah. thing that's like that the Lady Justice, oh, the blind. Yes. I was like, no, ma'am. I said, I want my whole body to look the same and I was like as I said before one day I want to be married and I don't want to have to explain why I got one up and one you know 
I was like, no. <laughs> she was like, anyway, bless her heart. <laughs> yeah. And I asked my, my doctor, cause I had a team. Mm -hmm. I asked my reconstructive surgeon, I said, do I sound like I'm vain? She says, no. She said, I've had women that are 26. I've had women that are 66. And she said, I, you all keep, have that same, you know, that same idea of wanting your body to look like normal. Yes. And this was my new normal. And I wanted to make it as normal as possible for me right and so that is what I opted for and so about like after the journey um I'm sure there was a very traumatic process going through the cancer oh, treatment and and things absolutely. like that um yes. but there's a correlation between your singing your laughter like there there was a formula there correct well, I decided I had already planned out in my head that after my doctor released me um, to go back to work or drive or what have you, I was going to go back to singing with the band that I was singing with. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that that is what fueled me to get better. I didn't have to go back to my regular job until like two months after my surgery. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted to get back to my normal because that meant I was able to move and not have to think about all of the different things that my body was going through. Because as I watched my body go through all of these different changes, it was pretty traumatic. And it was so traumatic that for a while I dressed in the dark. So like, imagine you being told as a child that your breasts and having a menstrual cycle is they're two of those things that make you a woman. Right. And not having those components anymore start to question start to make you question, well, what's wrong with me? Because I don't look like a normal woman to me anymore. And for a while I dressed in the dark because my body literally was changing before my eyes. The breasts that I had, they were now gone. I had expanders underneath my chest and they were filling my chest with um, saline in between the chemo to stretch the skin, to, to prepare my skin for them to later add the implants because that was like a six month process. Yeah. Right. Right. May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, seven month process because I did chemo from June, July, June, July, somewhere around in there, up until December 1 of 2017. And my <laughs> oncologist even laughed at me because I was like, listen, y'all not going to rule our Christmas, all right? I want to be done with this. She was like, "Uh, yeah, but you have 16 treatments. I said, how are we going to speed this up? <laughs> because I have things to do. And she was like, girl... And I mean, she would laugh at me because I was just honest. But to see her laugh was it was it was fuel for me to keep keep going. And she would be like, "All right, let me see what things are looking like." And I was like, "I'm so sick of taking my clothes off for people and getting no pleasure around it." You know what I mean? She was like, "Get out of my!" But I mean, it was moments like that that I had to 
figure out a way to to just infuse some laughter into because it was very very hard and going into four-hour chemo treatments and later losing all my hair but then music was also helpful with the stuff that I was listening to like I think India Ari's um I am not my hair became one of the most I it was necessary for me to hear I am not my hair I am not this skin I am not your expectations Um, I'm the soul that lives within I had to sorry for the sirens um I had to hear I had to hear something positive right able to look at myself and not have to cry in the mirror every morning because I went through that process of losing my hair and I remember taking my hair down Mm -hmm. um, after my friend had braided it my natural Mm -hmm. hair was pretty long at the time Mm -hmm. and um she braided it up before I went into surgery the first time and then after surgery she did it again and then my chemo treatments started a couple weeks maybe after when I took the braids down I noticed hair decided to fall and I was like is this my hair or did she add hair and I wanted to believe she had to have added hair because I could carry my hair in my hands like this. And I had enough. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting and I was talking to one of my sorority sisters. And while I was taking my hair down, it was just falling. It was just falling, 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 falling. And I sat and looked in my lap and I was like, I got a big pile of hair in my lap. And I remember, I remember Catherine saying, oh my God, Leah, you want me to sit with you? I said, well, girl, it's gone now. (laughs) I said, let's just see, because I knew that was a part of it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was going to be like that. I thought that maybe I would lose hair in like small clumps, but no, the back of my hair. You know how little babies look when their hair starts to grow and they got a patch here? That's how my hair looked. And I had, I, I called it like a little broccoli piece and it was just kind of sitting in the top. And I was like, I oh my God. Like, And I remember looking in the mirror and something told me to take a picture. And I took a few pictures just to document. And on occasion, I'll look back at those pictures and go, look how good God is. And look at how far you've come. Because everybody does not have the miraculous story that you have. Where you define Um, science. Man, listen to me. And I tell people all the time, I I don't care what your journey is. If we're on this earth living, we are going to see pain. We are going yep. to know adversity. I tell people all the time, I need you to write it down. I need you to mm-hmm. journal and document. And if you don't have a few journals, you're really not serious. Yeah. And not until COVID, I started telling people, you have got to video journal. And that's actually how I started my journey is journaling. Wow. You know, so it is so good that you reference 
it always gives you something to look back on where you were and how God has carried you and is continuing to carry you. Mm-hmm. So you turn your situation into something absolutely positive. Yeah. Um, with your music and you you just had a new single, correct? I did just bring out a new single. It's called Enough. Mm-hmm. And um, a part of it is my story, a part of it is my niece's story, a part of it is a, a conversation that I had with a guy friend of mine. And all of these stories created this song that tell people you're good enough just as you are. Right. And I think walking around with that bald head and people watching me that followed the band that I was in, they were like, Oh my God, Leah, your head looks beautiful. I was like, thank you, child. And I was bald. And I mean, I lost all my head. And I remember before I started back with the band, my band leader was like, I'm really concerned about you. And I was like, why? He was like, my mother had breast cancer. I said, I'm not your mother. And he was like, I mean, she was sick all the time. I said, let me tell you something. I am not going to allow a diagnosis to dictate to me how I live my life. I said, if you need me, you let me know when you're ready for me to return. Otherwise, I'll be here and I'll find another way to sing. He said, well, I need you to come back next week. What time? And I was there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I was still doing chemo, but if I felt myself getting tired, I kept the seat. So if I wasn't singing, I would sit down in the seat. Mm-hmm. If it was time for me to sing again, I would get up, sing, and sit back down. Mm-hmm. But what I was not going to do is sit around for five months doing nothing. Right. I needed something to do because mentally, I would have lost my entire mind sitting at home. Because when I had to sit at home, I felt like the walls were closing in on me. I was used to having something to do for eight to maybe 12 hours a day. And sitting at home watching TV was not normal for me. And so, like you said, I was journaling. I was still writing music. I was still sending music back to friends here in Tennessee because I was in California at that time. And I was like, hey, see if you can put this to music, send it back to me. We'll record it when I get back to Tennessee. And Mm -hmm. so that's what kept me going. Now, all of my friends did not know that I was going through this. I Mm -hmm. had my select uh, close-knit family and friends. Yeah. And my aunt was like, well, are you going to tell anybody? I was like, I'll tell who I want to tell because I did not want people to worry about me. And I didn't want a lot of my relatives to know because I lost my mother to cancer. I lost my father to cancer. Now I had to deal with it. And so having them walk with me through it, I didn't think that it was going to be healthy for me. My dad at that time, had 11 brothers and sisters, 11, yes, there are nine of them left now. So yeah, there were 11 of them. I didn't want all of them calling me every day. That would have caused more stress. And so I said, I told my uncle, one of my youngest uncles, I said, I will tell you 
you relay the message to everybody else. I don't have time to talk to 11 people because you're going to have all these different stories. All of them are going to get mixed and mingled and people are still going to believe what they want to believe. Right. But if it comes from one person with the information, you can tell them all at one time. And then everybody, the only thing I really need from you is prayer. It's nothing else you can do. Right. So I also believe, you know, and I know it sounds a little juju, but, you know, you want to make sure that you have that type of healing and prayers in the right hands, because Mm -hmm. there is a doubtful Thomas somewhere in there. That energy is still attached to Mm -hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So I really have this big thing about protecting my energy mm-hmm. and feel about certain things. And mm-hmm. some people don't understand that. Did you feel that, that it was a direct correlation with your mindset and healing? And if you didn't have a, a positive mindset around me, eventually I would stop talking to you. Yes. Um, my friends were around me constantly and I think that was another thing and all of my friends were in the choir with me Mm -hmm. and so I still had some sort of music or musical influence in addition to the band that I was in um different session work that I was still doing my friends were around me constantly they were coming to cook they were coming to take me somewhere they wouldn't let me sit around um they were always there to remind me this is temporary. They would not let me sit and be sick. They would not allow me to sit and say, okay, I guess this is, this, this is my situation and I have to just live in it. No, 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 that's not what we're doing. We're overcoming and we're moving forward. You grow up from this. You don't, you don't, stop and bring your life to a screeching halt there's still things for you to do there's still some lessons that you have to learn from this and if we have to help you to see that then we will but what we won't watch you do is continue to crumble under pressure right and so that's what they did um they would tell people who were also closest to me through like their their parents and their brothers and sisters, they were praying, they were supportive. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but after going through it, I, I realized some of the people that called to encourage me, I was encouraging them. One of my band members was like, I think you need to talk to my sister. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, why? He was like, oh, she went through the same thing. And as we told our stories and exchanged stories, I was like, yeah, I didn't have that issue. You didn't? They gave your nipples back. <laughs> they gave, oh, I didn't know. They, you could keep your areolas. I was like, yeah, I kept all that. She was like, they didn't give me they nothing. They take it off, put it beside the table, and then they reattach it back on. They, some people don't get a chance to keep their um, areolas nipples my 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 aunt she didn't get hers put back on and actually I think it worked out because she she doesn't have to deal with the you know man because I was like these look like dirty Harry yeah (laughs) I was like well we're gonna figure out Cause like, you know how <laughs> with real breasts, you can kind of figure it out. Like, I guess I'll put some quarters up here, you know, move on. <laughs> I can't do that. With, I can't do that with these. But 
the plus side of it, when I go perform now, I just pop, pop a pasty up there, put some on this backless, and not have to worry about nothing saying or falling. Excited singing and then right? <laughs> I can move and I'm like, this is great. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's amazing. And that's what I'm trying to coach people through and understanding, telling your story to somebody else or speaking to other people about your story. You will find similarities. You'll have polar mm -hmm. opposites, but there is yeah. healing yeah. and sharing yes. your story. Yes. And you really do learn how to find the joy in just the the how fortunate you are because mm -hmm. some of the some of the the <clears throat> things that people went through physically i did not go through mm -hmm. like one lady was like oh you're gonna lose taste and you're gonna lose weight well when she had to go through chemo it was so different yeah it was years prior Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to have radiation. So I never had, she was like, you're going to have a, a metal taste in your mouth. And I was like, I don't have that. Um, she was like, you're, you're not going to want to eat sometimes. My doctor was like, I have never seen anybody like you. I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, I'm giving you the most potent form of chemo drugs that we have. She mm -hmm. says, call Red Devil. And I was like, dude, like, it's called what's it? You know, she was like, yeah. She was like, one lady, she came in here. She has mouth sores and she can't eat. But you eat anything you get your hands on and you're gaining weight. Most people lose weight when they take this drug. She said, I have another lady <laughs> that came in here and... She can't stop crying. She cries uncontrollably. She said, you come in here and you crack jokes with me every week. And she was like, I don't understand it. And her nurse practitioner that worked on her team, she said, yeah, kiddo, you're kind of an anomaly here. And that's when God was like, remember, you asked me to defy science. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, I did. And I said, ma'am, the only thing I could tell you is this. I said, I pray. And I really do talk to God. That's all I got. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I think during those moments of that, the whole journey through chemo, I had some of the most intimate discussions with God. And I would tell him when I didn't like something. I would tell him when I was frustrated. But I also understood that God understood. Yeah. Um, I understand now that we can be as open and mm -hmm. as honest as we choose. And if we just tell God how we feel, he can help us to navigate through anything. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be honest and unashamed enough to be able to say, hey, I'm weak in this area. And I'm just going to tell you now, I can't do it. So if you don't give me instruction, it ain't going to get done. The amount of humility and vulnerability that it takes to even yeah yeah down to that level and that is truly just surrendering yeah and you are submitting every bit of your trouble and and realizing there is nothing you or anybody else can I can't do it. and even my band members were like 
what is happening here? Because I would go to the rehearsals because I was still going to my regular job. I was still doing my weekend gigs with a band. Sometimes during the week after work, I was I was doing it all because I was like, what this won't do is take me down or take me out. And I had a cousin that asked me one day, she said, how did you do it? I said, oh, I don't like to lose. Mm. I said, I don't lose. She was like, okay. And that's how I looked at it. Figure wow. out a way to win. Mm. This is your mind. This is your body. Your mind controls the rest of this. How will you program your mind to get you to a space where your body says, we have to, we have to do better. We have to get better. We have to heal. She has more to do. And so that's where I was. And I was literally going from work and on my lunch period or like right before work, I would go and get those um, injections where they would stretch my skin. Mm-hmm. And so I would walk walk in like, hey, and walk out like I had a sock, sack of rocks in front of my chair. <laughs> my friend was like, can you put any ice on it? I said, for what? It's still going to feel like something just tight. It, it, it felt like, uh, I guess the best way to describe it would be like a basketball. When Ooh. you see a basketball that needs air and then all of a sudden you you inflated and it's super hard that's what it feels like and it's like dude it's nothing that I can do other than I've I've learned how to program my mind to think about on only the things that I need to do or the things that are necessary and not only programming their mind like you did ah well, I, I kind of looked at it like a sport. Um, you may have an opponent that is kicking your behind, mm-hmm. but it's all about you thinking more along the strategy of how to win than it would be along the lines of you thinking, I'm losing. Which one is going to serve you more? Figuring out how to win or sulking about the fact that you're going to lose? So... I was always trying to figure out the solution to mentally program my mind on winning. During the day at work, I was also training another colleague. So I was like, well, you have the liberty through your FMLA to go home, but are you going to crack under pressure and go home and leave this girl here lacking the training necessary to do her job? It's also helped me because we worked in the same department. So I'm like, okay, if I can get my mind off of the pain and the irritation, then I can train her, get through another day, and in a few hours I can go home. Um, There really aren't any drugs that really stop that type of irritation. Right. And I mean, like I was watching them, the needle was about that long and they just count and they say, all right, we'll go count to three, one, two, three. And they stick it like right here. And they have this huge, huge tool and it's squeezing that stuff into your chest. 
And so I just kind of looked off and just let them do their job. It was like, this will be over soon. And I think I just kind of learned how to accept pain is inevitable. And if you can get through this, then you can move on to the next step. And it's freedom on the other side. Um, And so I knew I had to respect the process of everything that I was going through. And the process led to another avenue of progression. Because after I was able to finish all of those injections and the chemo, then the reconstructive surgery came. After the reconstructive surgery came, I was done. How did you accepting your body after the reconstructive surgery? Um, it took me a while. Mm-hmm. Um, because I still identified for a long time being a woman with having my own body parts. Oh yeah. And, and I I and I talk about this in the song enough where, you know, I asked, or I talk about it more on my uh, Instagram uh, reel that I recently did, how I asked God, what's wrong with me? And God was like, it's nothing wrong with you. Everything that's happening to you is for my glory. Mm-hmm. And I believe his glory shines through moments like these when I can tell somebody, hey, don't give up. It's some it's some success freedom on the other side. Um, if you can live to tell the story, you've won. Um, things might not be the way they were before. Your normal will change, right. but determine what normal looks like. Yeah. I don't have, I, and I had to look at the bright side of things. I don't, I don't get the opportunity to go and buy regular bras anymore child they don't fit i can't put an underwire under something that they basically rebuilt i mean they they sit like i hate flatters yes it's like come on you know so i had to i was like well and i didn't want the um the bras that they give for people who have gone through mastectomies, I was like, I don't like them. They're ugly. Um, And so (laughs) I was like, I've always worn sports bras. And if you buy the right sports bras, they're actually pretty cute. And so I was like, "Uh, I like this Under Armour one here. I'll take that. And I went along with that and was like, okay, cool. I don't have to deal with the uh, the underwire. You know, you having to pull it out and go, well, this bra is no good. So... (laughs) So, it was it important to you to have the matching Under Armour underwear because you're identifying and Mm-mm. didn't even matter. Uh, uh-uh, I just like my underwear to be comfortable. I'm just gonna be honest, <laughs> and That's I just real like, talk. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, Leia, you have to put something on because my reconstructive surgeon she was laughing at me once again. I was like, so do I have to wear a bra at all? Because after she did it, I was just like, you know, I was like, this like, you know, she was like, Leia, you will have to wear a bra. Oh, wow. like, <laughs> right. Because I was like, I mean, but with all of the activities that I was into, um, because I was an avid runner, 
I do a marathon tomorrow, actually. Um, yeah, I, I I was working out, lifting weights, and all of that is, you know, related to gravity. What goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, to protect what you now have and not having any issues, you still have to protect them with some sort of structured something to hold them up. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I opted for a sports bra. And I'm like, who's like really looking like that? So I was like, the sports bra it is. And the sports bra it is. Yeah. You have experienced like trauma. Your first line of trauma was your mother dying at a young age. Then now, you know, you are walking this earth and you don't have a parent. That in itself is an experience you know, not having either a mother or your father, then going through your own cancer journey, somehow you have taken your trauma, your pain, and turned it into this purpose, um, which is extremely in- encouraging, you know? And so, you know, y- you're in your career, you know, and doing very well at it. I watch your little Instagrams. And- oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, we're all so proud of you all of us, you know? So like, what has now this journey where you have, how are you balancing now or allowing um, love? You know, you've got your career, you've got your success, you know, how does love and success go hand in hand for you or or does it? Well, I, I learned at an early <laughs> age, although my mom wasn't there and eventually my dad was gone. Um, my aunt helped to raise me. And although she isn't my mother, I think I learned how to take the bitter with the sweet because I saw people in my position and their stories didn't turn out like mine. Um, you know, my aunt was really, uh, she was extremely integral in what you see today. And so I realized that I shouldn't take her for granted um, and to be appreciative of what she had to become and um, use what I had. She was a resource. And so I used that resource to learn how to be a woman, to learn how to um, understand what it was like to take situations, although unfavorable, and make the best out of them. to learn how not to really think about how people thought or what they thought about our, our your situation because people were like, wait a minute, your aunt and your dad. I was like, they're not together. It's my aunt and my dad. <laughs> That's all they are. And people who grew up in either a household where they had a single parent, one single parent, or step parents, or um, uh, um. You know, they were in other, some other sort of blended family. Technically, I was in a blended family, too, um, because a lot of people don't realize my, my youngest brother is not my youngest brother. He is my cousin. My aunt has a son, too. And so I always say he allowed us to borrow his mother and my biological brother and I allow him to borrow our dad. And that's how we grew up. Nobody was ever separated. It wasn't them and us. It was just us. 
And so I've learned to look at family as the people who support you, the people who are there to pour into you and not just take from you. And that's the same, uh, that's the same way I look at um, relationships that I build with uh, young men. And mm-hmm. if they don't understand what I have with my family, then they might not to not be be able to be a part. Um, although my family is peculiar, so am I. Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I, I think that's the joy of who I am. I'm just different. Yeah. Um, and I've learned no matter what your history is, uh, you still have the choice. You still have the opportunity to rewrite it and make it your own. Because when I do marry, I'm going to create my own traditions and my own ways of living with my spouse and children. However we decide to do it, those are the things that will be passed down. And the rest of me will become history. Yeah. You know, so, I'm going to point out something that really is profound that a lot of people probably can skip over, but I have to point it out. You said, but when I do get married and you just kept floating on along, a lot of people say, yeah. No. It takes so much for that to be in your natural flow of your vocabulary, that it's in your being, that you speak of power and, and with faith. Uh, I know the direction that my life is going. So I just have what, to- I think that words have power. Yeah, they do. And... um. I think that was something that I also uh, exercised during the process of my whole cancer diagnosis, chemo, et cetera. And I think I've just done that in life in general. I remember I was leaving high school and preparing for college. The school that I wanted to go to was the last school to accept me. And my aunt was like, I guess you'll be going to so-and-so, so-and-so. And I was like, nah. I'll be going to MTSU. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't even sent you an acceptance letter. I said, but that's where I want to go. So that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. When my father passed, nobody knew how we was going we were gonna pay for my education. Nobody knew. Mm-hmm. We we were still picking up the pieces of his death. My dad passed my freshman year of college. And my aunt said to me, she said, Leia, I know MTSU is where you want to be, but I don't know how you're going to stay. And I said, I won't be back. She said, uh, I'm telling you, you might have to go to university in Memphis. I said, I'm not doing that. She was like, okay, I finished at MTSU. But I think it started with me saying it. And I think a lot of times if I say it, then I believe in myself. Yeah. Um, I I have just developed a dogged approach. And I don't know if every listener that you have is Christian, mm-hmm. but one of the, the principles that we apply in Christianity is understanding that there's power of death and life in mm-hmm. your tongue. And the Bible says, those that love it shall eat the fruit of it. And I want to say the message Bible version says words have life 
and words have death. You can speak either one. And whichever one you speak is the one you choose to live by. So it's your choice. You can say what you want to say. And please know whatever you say, you're probably going to see it. So it's not just an if. It's a win for me. Because that's what I want to see. So when you get married and the the trajectory, you know, there's this journey of getting there. Like, what is the key as far as balancing your life? You have this wonderful and amazing, you know, I, I hate to even call it a job. Like, I don't have a job. It's a calling. It's a calling. It's a calling. If you're not called to it, don't do it. Don't do it. And don't, don't, don't go on and tag his name on there saying, you know, called to do it. Like he, he does like this whole journey of, I don't do social media. You've never seen me on social media. And here it is. I have a podcast. Like, like who would have thought, but when God calls you to do something, there ain't no running from it. There ain't, you can delay it as long as you want to. It's like playing a chess game. And look, I was like this all over the board. And then he, you know, he's You still got all day. You do. And then you don't obey. Man, the things that, I'm telling you, y'all, there's fear. You better believe in not obeying what he has called you to do. But anyhow, how do you freedom in obedience? Yes. I mean, like, man, that's another episode. That is another episode. So when you, are balancing like your career, your calling now that we put that on the table and, and this love, even, even if you've gone this far and if God has you to be with someone, even that is ordained, even that is going to happen. You know, like how do you fight between these two loves? Because your music is your first love, you know? Uh, well, when I started dating, my current guy, the one thing that I did was communicate to him what I do for a living, which, like I said, it's a call. And I let him know early, this is not just something that I do. This is not just a hobby. It's a passion. You can either become a part of the passion or push forward with with, with whatever it is you're doing. Because I am assigned to this. And if you're not a part of that assignment, I just have to be okay with that. But I cannot abort the mission that I've been given in order for me to just have what society deems success via marriage. I'm already successful. Now, if you want to join in what I'm already building, great. But if not, that's not hurting me. And so uh, I, anytime I have an event, he knows about it. If he can come, he's extremely supportive. Um, if, if I'm keeping a late night, because a lot of times with studio sessions, they run late. Yeah. I'm, I'm extremely honest about, hey, we started at this time. I might not end until this time. If you want to talk me home, great. If you don't, I'm going to talk to Jesus because that's what I was doing before. Like I had a band member that was cracking up with me. He was having some issues with his um, 
a lot of my band members were older. Well, all of them were older. They were in their late 50s and 60s. So I had like eight uncles, seven uncles. <laughs> it was cool, though. They were great. I missed them. But he had to ride with me to the gigs. And he was like, I hate that you got to come get me. I was like, you live like 10 minutes from me. And we go into the same spot. I was like, if you don't get in this car, he was like, what do you normally do when I'm not here? Because I told him, I'm so glad that you are here because you keep me company. And he was like, it is kind of cool because we get a chance to talk and get to know each other. He said, what did you do before I got here? I was like, I just, I will talk to the Lord. He was like, you do a lot of talking, huh? I said, yep. Because sometimes we would drive from, I don't know if anybody understands the proximity between a lot of the cities in California, but for me to drive from Southern California to Northern California, this isn't this isn't a short drive. It could be anywhere from two to three hours. At some point, I'm probably going to get sick of listening to the same music. Right. I'm probably going to get tired of going through podcasts. And sometimes after those gigs, after you've done two or three sets, and a set is usually 45 minutes to an hour. Well, if you do two or three of those, you really don't want to hear any music a lot of times. You want complete quiet so that you can decompress. Mm -hmm. And he became my way of decompressing. We would talk about what we could do better. We would talk about the next gig. We would talk about what other songs we had to learn for the next gig. It was a, so many different topics. And I just enjoyed him allowing me to glean in the fields of his wisdom. Because this dude was in his 60s. Lot to learn from that. Yeah. And lots of time that you're... Yeah. Riding with this person, sucking up yeah. knowledge, you know. So, <clears throat> with that being said, like your current partner, I know you're not riding from northern to southern uh, Carolina, excuse me, California now, but like your partner has to understand the flow and relationships and the time that you spend with you mm -hmm. know your your bandmates. They are your family. They're they're your band, your soulmates. You know, you you y'all have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in groups here. Yeah. yeah. And and I honestly do believe that, you know, it, it goes a little further than being understanding of one another's career. I'm truly excited about the future and how there is somebody out there to, to know that their assignment is to make sure that I carry out my assignment God has given to me and vice versa. I am so excited about that role that I am currently prepared for to be that person for him, to serve him and to take him on that, that journey. And I think age also allows us to have that sort of freedom to truly know now what relationship and companionship is about. So I'm, I'm glad that you opened that door and saying that, you know, your current person you're dating, they understand that, that the late nights and the trust, you know, that into all of that um and I've learned you know to be upfront I was honest um this is an industry where there are lots of men um where women are often looked at as objects instead of being looked at like people but over time I've learned how to speak up for myself mm -hmm. I've learned how to speak to men who may not view me as a person mm -hmm. and move on. 
Um, so I think it's been very helpful with uh, helping me to be as honest and open and transparent with who I'm dating. Um, and I, I literally have, have brought him into the world that I'm a part of. And if he can participate and see a lot of what I do, I, I allow that so that he will understand beyond just the words. He can see the actions. And I think that's what loving people is all about. They have to see certain actions. And I allow him to do that so that he can develop a comfort level and not feel like you could be telling me anything. No, no, no. You see it. It's alive and in living color. Don't let somebody tell you how much they love you. Yeah. To show you. Yeah. And I have made it a point to use those moments to test out whether or not um, what I believe God for is really the thing or the person, I should say, that's right in front of me. Because I asked God for someone who could understand this. Um, I asked God for someone that aligns with my purpose because I believe the purpose that you have, the call that you have, it aligns with his call. And I believe Yes, it does. Compliment. They compliment. Mm-hmm. I think that him being a, in a career that's totally different from mine is helpful. Although it would be great to be around another creative and date another creative, sometimes they can be kind of bad because creatives can be all over the place. Our schedules can change like the wind. But his stability is really a blessing to me. Him having a schedule that's more etched in stone than my own, it makes life easier for me. And I'm able to kind of wrap my schedule around his. And so I think that's another reason why we're able to intentionally um, make it a point to communicate and uh, spend time with each other because we know each moment is precious with our schedules being so different. Time is so important if you're building something like what we have. Um, Being kind of here, there, and everywhere, um, I have to really schedule time to make time for him. And I've I've made that something that's consistent with him. Um, really do make it a point to go, hey, what do you have on this day? Um, well, I got this, this, and this. What you got on this day? And so we make it work for us. I've learned that there is an old blueprint for how this should go. You make your own. You build your own house. Every house I built the same. Absolutely. Yeah. And. If you building it, you got to live in it. So yeah. how somebody else determines how you built your house, it doesn't really matter because right. they're in a different space. They're right. in a different space. What you can deal with and what they can deal with, they're two totally different things. Okay. It's no comparison. It's you and your partner. That's it. Okay. The rest of the, the people, is is a big square here. You close that off, 
And if the people who you care about are are welcoming to what you built, great. The ones that aren't, they can go. Yep. Yep. Well, Miss Leia, we definitely do thank you for your time today. We thank you for your wisdom. And again, just your vulnerability and sharing. Um, let people know how they can find you on social media. I am on Instagram under Leia Jones Music. That's L-A-I-A-J-O-N-E-S-M-U-S-I-C under Leia Jones Music on Facebook. And my link tree is also under Leia Jones Music. And you can attach yourself to that link through the Instagram page. Um, you can find me weekly on the IG videos that I do. I'm also under YouTube under the Leia Way. Leia, L-A-I-A, Way. The Leia Way. So if you want to see some videos that I've posted there, you can look there. And um, I'm constantly doing something. I have tape decks and diaries out. And it's been out since June of 2020, uh, 2022, I believe. Um, and then I just dropped a new single April 7th. So people can check that out. I'm still doing music for the new project that I hope to have out this summer. It's Tape Decks and Diaries Volume 2. And I'm going to keep keep on moving. I sing with several other groups. So you're probably going to see me with the W. Krim singers here in Nashville and Jamar Esau and Triad. And I do a whole lot of session work. So you'll probably see that on different reels too on Instagram, Facebook. Thank you so much. Guys, thank, thank you. you so much for tuning in and thank you for the warm welcome. And we hope that you subscribe to our channel and um, hit the notification bells on YouTube so that you can always see when the next um, video is aired. And if you are interested in uh, being on the show, you can email us at lifeoflivingabundantly at lifeoflivingabundantly at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, Leah. You are welcome. Thank you.